It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way. We're going to be joined. Go to Montana and visit with Senator Steve Daines. A lot of action on Capitol Hill. He's going to bring us inside everything that's taking place today. Also, it's important to point out that tonight I'll be at the Alfred Smith Dinner, the Al Smith Dinner, famous uh, governor's of uh, New York, a Memorial Foundation dinner. Condoleezza Rice will be the featured speaker. You're going to hear from her. She was on The View yesterday, and her view on this critical race theory and everything else is something you're going to have to hear. I'll be able to bring you the play-by-play on the dais last year, a couple of years ago. Last year was canceled. A couple of years ago, I was able to do the same thing, uh, and it's the who's who of uh, political heavyweights. So I'm there just to get stories and bring you, bring them to you. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Virginia isn't a purple state anymore. It is a blue state. McAuliffe was supposed to be cruising to re-election. What's happening is it is a sign that there is a seismic shift happening in the electorate where these school board moms who voted for Democrats in 2018 are being driven back into the GOP fold by Democrats who are telling them you're not in charge of your kid's education. Yep, uh, dead heat. That's how the latest poll has the uh, Virginia governor's race between McAuliffe and Youngkin, what it means for both parties and the issues that might be turning this blue state to a Republican for hope and help. Number two. Now, there's some really smart national press with me today, and they have understandably believed that there's no possibility of my getting this done. This has been declared dead on arrival from the moment I introduced it. But I think we're going to surprise them. Yeah, we'll say build back smaller. That's the message level-headed Dems are sending to President Biden and his squad disciples. The details on the bill the Dems just can't agree on and why I hope the whole thing goes down in flames. Number one. It's just utterly ridiculous. We're talking about a mayor who wanted to defund the police so her wish is coming true in Chicago. Right. Exactly. This is, in effect, defunding the police. It's reckless. And she does not speak for people who live in vulnerable communities. That is James Craig, police chief, wants to be the next governor of Michigan. How vaccines are saving lives and costing thousands of people their jobs and further dividing America of all ages, parties and backgrounds. The win Donald Trump gave them and how it could spell the Dems demise. And I really think so, because for the people that aren't getting vaccinated, most people are. And I think the numbers are pretty certain. You know, you have about 70 percent that's gotten both jabs. We got it. If you look at the people, the most vulnerable, the uh, those over 65, I think it's around 84 percent. People got the message. But from here on in, the only reason people are getting it is because it's their job or the jab. Now, for other people, they are deciding not to. But the mandates are saying you're fired and you're not getting unemployment benefits. Now, it's easy to do that if you're a Democratic president and you believe they're all Trump supporters. But what if I told you most of those unvaccinated are African-American, are minorities, are Hispanic? What if I told you that a 37-year nuclear engineer, excuse me, a uh, engineer at NASA, along with 100 other NASA employees, are also about to give up their jobs be- and not get unemployment insurance because they don't want to get the jab. These are very intelligent people. We told you about the PhDs. 
further dividing America. So the vaccinated are so angry at the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated show up in places and feel vilified and polarized. Meanwhile, we know it can spread through the vaccinated and unvaccinated. And we know, according to the science, that if you are vaccinated, you're probably going to get mild symptoms. And if you're unvaccinated and you're unhealthy, uh, you have a more, more of a chance of being hospitalized and possibly losing your life. Guess what? I just gave you a choice. Talk to your doctor. And, but now we have to talk to our president. And not many people are willing to do that because they're a little fed up. Dave Rubin has got a great – was on primetime last night, the Rubin Report. And he talked about what the government is saying and demanding and how this is so out of bounds. I thought – we should listen. Cut for it. According to the CDC's own website, the last numbers that we could pull up, children under 18, 0.002 morbidity on COVID. Not 0.2, not 2%, 0.002. Uh, there's about 500 kids uh, under the age of five who have died, and it seems like they have all sorts of other things. That's not to diminish any of those deaths. But at this point, almost two years from two weeks to flatten the curve, do you think maybe it's time to pause and say maybe our elite and maybe the scientists and government bureaucrats who have been basically either lying or getting everything wrong all along, do you think maybe we should take a second glance when they say something? I would think so, but maybe you don't. I do, and I got vaccinated, but I'm not telling you to do it. I don't think it's my place. I didn't go to college on vaccination or biology. I think it's pretty amazing. What if someone told you you believe the vaccine works, right? What if all of a sudden there was an announcement, Joe Biden says, for now, no more vaccines? You'd probably find a way to get the vaccine. Why? Just because Joe Biden tells you not to, you feel it makes you better, you're going to continue to take it. Why? Because you heard it worked. Ivermectin. We heard Senator uh, Dr. Ben Carson took ivermectin. We heard Joe Rogan took ivermectin. We heard we heard uh, taking ivermectin. Colonel Allen West. They all got better quickly. They credit ivermectin for it. But if you say that and you write that, your account gets suspended on YouTube and Facebook. So why are we allowing the government to tell us what to do? In terms of what the president's doing and how he lost this win, this was uh, he could look like the hero. The President Trump's Operation Warp Speed was handed to him in January. He quickly set up shop and, and people started getting it pretty regularly, pretty quickly. And then it stopped in June. And it doesn't matter because in July, the president said the numbers are so low, we basically beat this thing. But when the Delta variant came in, it looks like we were dealing with it again. And the numbers went up. Now they're going down precipitously. But when they started going up again, he says, because those unvaccinated people, science doesn't add up with that. All right. Science doesn't add up with that. But it doesn't mean now that the masks got to stay on to the kids. It doesn't mean now you got to you have to show a vaccination card in almost all these red states and certainly into federal facilities. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, for those of you who want your kids without masks going to school like they should cut one. As we head into these winter months, we know we cannot be complacent. We also know that um, from previous data that, that, that schools that have had masks in place were three and a half times less likely to have school outbreaks requiring school closure. So right now we are going to continue to um, recommend masks in all schools for all um, people in those schools. So unbelievable. Forever they're going to be doing this. I saw a picture the other day. A kid, I think he was in second grade, his mask kept dropping. The teacher taped it with masking tape to his face. That's how out of control this is. Teachers got to be smarter. Cases are down 
Uh, deaths are down 15%. The only place they're really going up is the upper northwest in Minnesota, and they'll go down soon. The New York rate of positive cases of the coronavirus is double that of Florida. Florida's cases dropped over the last two weeks 50%. But do you read that anywhere? No, because it's pure politics, which plays into why people say, I don't want to be bullied in part of this political process when it comes to my health. Governor Ducey of Arizona, obviously a Republican. He has a legal challenge because the city council is voting they got everyone's got to be mandated. So the AP is reporting about 300 of the city's nearly 4,000 employees who refuse the shot are about to get fired. So what is it doing? I don't care where you stand. It is dividing America. And this guy, the president, every time he gets a chance, he basically berates those who aren't vaccinated. Many are smarter and more accomplished than him and are making their own decisions. They don't want to look to him. And if you think it's not a slippery slope, just play this out. Uh, we hear the durabilities between 9 and 12 months if we look at uh, Israel. How soon do we hear it's time for everybody to get another shot? And then there's a booster shot. If you feel as though you're at, uh, overweight, if you feel you have an underlying condition, you just beat cancer, go get the booster shot. Now it's a demand. So what if you didn't get vaccinated? Now you're not going to get vaccinated a second time. And now what I was just playing earlier, this new mandate that Dave Rubin was talking about is 5 to 12. Available for those kids. Those kindergartners up until I think 7th grade. It's available. A lot of parents say, hell no. So what happens? Those kids are going to say, be told shortly, you mark my words, then stay home. More trauma for America's children for no reason. So we just found out we have Mick Mulvaney this hour. So I want to go to him on my next topic, and I'll take a break to do it. And that next topic is about what is left in the reconciliation bill, according to almost all reports, because Joe Manchin and Senator Sinema are standing up to the woke left even though President Trump doesn't have the guts to. So we'll tell him what's left in it when we come back. And also, did you see this story in a high school football game? The other team put up a sign that said, uh, you know, that you're, the other team is privileged because it's a private school. And I guess, I assume most of those kids are white. Well, it caused tremendous controversy, obviously. It's Mick Mulvaney's school. Bring me inside that North Carolina story in just a moment. And then Senator Steve Daines. So glad you're here. Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com. 
com slash path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I do think that uh, the, the number that we wanted, uh, you know, certainly it's not going to be the number that's, that's going to be uh, agreed upon. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, I think between uh, 1.5 and maybe uh, 2.2, uh, but uh, it's not going to go much higher than, than two uh, trillion, uh, and uh, and and it, it even feels weird to use the T word, but I, I think I think that's where we are, and I think we have to be realistic. Uh, that is Emmanuel Cleaver, the Democrat, a reasonable Democrat uh, from the House, talking about the negotiations from Democrat to Democrat, from uh, the woke left uh, to the so-called moderates. And the uh, moderates seem to be winning. Uh, Senator Sinema and Senator Manchin have said, I won't sign off on 3.5. I won't sign off on a myriad of things, including raising the corporate tax rate uh, in, in order to get this social spending number uh, up to 3.5, which is really 4.9 over the course of the next 10 years. It's Joe Biden's premier initiative, and it's falling flat only because of his own party, even though a deal could be happening, but about half of what he wants. Joining me now, Mick Mulvaney, who's seeing the tax reform uh, that President uh, Trump put through with Mick Mulvaney's esteemed help uh, almost get torn up if this, in fact, does, if some of these uh, programs go uh, and be signed into legislation. Uh, Former OMB director Mick Mulvaney, welcome back. Brian, it's always good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we got a North Carolina story that you relate to because it revolves around your high school in just a moment. But first, what do you make of the trouble the Democrats are having with the 3.5 reconciliation package? Um, That it's really it's very interesting to watch the, the internal dynamics of the party. It's also very interesting to say that folks who are only pushing for $1.5 trillion are moderates. But let's put the language aside for a second. And what you're seeing is a real division within the Democrat Party. There are the energy is on the left. It absolutely is. The progressives are really driving the train right now. It's, you and I have talked about this before. One of the reasons that Biden ran as a moderate but is now governing as a progressive is that that's where the energy is in his party. So when you see that, when you see the, 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 the progressives pushing the, the initiatives, pushing the dynamics so hard, to see so much pushback from the so-called center of the Democrat Party has been fascinating to watch. This is a party that is certainly divided they don't know what they want, or at least they don't know what they can sell politically. My guess is, Brian, that what you've got is a situation here where there's a bunch of Democrats who would love to have all of this free stuff, but they know if they do it, they'll lose badly in the midterms, and they are just torn right now with whether or not they want to push the initiative or have a chance in the election. Yeah, you got some moderates in the House, I guess. Uh, so just to give people an idea, we're talking about paid benefit leave from 12 weeks to four weeks. Reduce funding for home care elderly from 250 from 400 billion to 250 billion. Manchin also uh, opposes a lot of this green gas emission stuff um, that's supposed to get emissions down by 50 percent. He is not for that. He says I'm from an energy state. He says no clean electricity uh, program. Uh, also, Cinema opposes uh, raising the corporate tax rate. She also opposes raising the uh, capital gains rate. Uh, and the individual uh, tax rate from the top on the top bracket from 37 to 39 point six. So how do they how are they supposed to pay for this? Where, where do we how are they going to get their pays for it's supposed to cost zero? Well, well, keep in mind, it was never going to cost. It was, it, we all know that it was never going to cost zero. It was never going to be paid for that. That word doesn't mean the same thing 
in the English language in the rest of the world as it does in Washington, D.C. What paid for in Washington means that they can sort of make a claim that they are raising some money that might come close to covering the costs over the long term. I know that's a long answer, but put aside this concept of paying for it. The tax increases were never intended to be economically justifiable. They were never intended to raise enough money to offset the costs dollar for dollar of these programs. The tax increases were intended to inflict a to get a political pound of flesh. It was to, to essentially soak the rich, to hurt the rich, because that's what so many Democrats on the progressive wing of the party really, really wanted. They didn't care how much money it raised. They don't care how much money it actually goes towards paying for the programs. They wanted to be able to go back in their Democrat primaries to their hardcore left and say, we stuck it to rich people, vote for us again. And what you've heard, what you've seen now is that that's just not selling to Kirsten Sinema. That's not selling to, to Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin actually looks at it from an economic standpoint. So does Kirsten. And I think what they're saying is, look, these taxes are never going to raise enough money to pay for this. They're probably going to do more harm than good. Uh, let's just get rid of them. And I think you're going to see the Democrats willing to do that because they're more interested in spending the money than they were in raising it in the first place. They'll figure out a way to raise taxes on the rich another time. But the critical thing right now right for them, I think, is the new programs and the new spending because they know that when those programs start, they never go away. Right. So there's something else that you can relate to. In high school football, uh, a school that you went to, a North Carolina Catholic school, uh, was greeted by a sign from the Charlotte High School, Charlotte Catholic High School, I should say, uh, was greeted by a sign that said, uh, basically, you're privileged, uh, privileged and popular with rich uh, white families. So tell me about this sign and how it's playing. Oh, I had to laugh because the reason I, I texted you this morning was I saw it on television. I didn't realize it was going to be a national story. There's a the, my high school, Charlotte Catholic High School, actually plays in the public school uh, athletic league here in North Carolina, and they played a, a a public school as they often do on Friday night. And the the visiting team, the Butler High School team at the Charlotte Catholic High School field, put out a giant banner that said, uh, "Sniff, sniff, smell that privilege." And privilege was all, all the words were in black except the word privilege, which was in white. So it's got a bunch of national attention now uh, as being a racially motivated sort of insult um, by the, the, the certain folks at the public high school against the folks at the, the Catholic Christian school that I went to. Kind of scary uh, that, that, that all that national rhetoric is, is siphoning down to high school. Is that something that has there been racial tensions before? No. And, and, and by the way, you've just hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's the reason I'm glad the story is getting some attention. I, I, nothing's going to come of it, by the way, because the one group you can still discriminate against in this country are, you know, traditional Christians. And that's that's what Charlotte Catholic High School is. So my guess is nothing will really come of this. There'll be no real uh, penalties against any of the administrators at, at Butler High School. There'll be no real penalties against the kids who made the signs or used the signs and so forth, because it's still the, the one group you can you can you can uh, discriminate against now are, are white Christians. But put that aside for uh, an, another conversation. The reason I'm glad it's getting attention is that this is what you get when you make race a central issue in education. Is that where, as before, when you and I were kids, we never would have thought of doing this uh, when we went into a black school. If we went to a black school, you wouldn't do this into a white school, a predominantly white or predominantly black school. Uh, race didn't enter into the conversation. Just but when we game. do this to young yeah. kids at a younger and younger age, this is what you get. And I'm glad right. that it's getting some attention. Officials from Butler apologize to Charlotte Catholic. I think that's where it's going to end. Thanks, Mick, for bringing up close and personal to a story that's making national news. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, thank you. When we come back, Senator Steve Daines, Montana. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Pretty responsible. I mean, obviously, the Wall Street Journal figured out what the game is. The game is to shrink the cost, start a whole lot of programs, and claim that it doesn't really cost that much because they expire in a year or two. And the goal, of course, is that they all become so popular that we get them forever. Look, this is just one more round of the kind of inflationary policies that they enacted earlier this year on a party line basis. They dumped almost $2 trillion on the economy, sent inflation through the roof, and they're not through. They want to keep on doing it. And they might, uh, but just not to $3.5 trillion, thankfully. That was Mitch McConnell literally minutes ago. Uh, Senator Steve Daines, uh, he well, he's on with Dana Perino. Senator Steve Daines joins us now from Montana. Senator, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. So what are you hearing about the 3.5? So what you guys did is pass a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. 19 Republicans voted for it. Were you one of them? I voted against it, Brian. The reason I voted against it, two reasons. One, it wasn't fully paid for, so it's increasing our deficit and debt. And two, I think that's just an entree that leads to the horrible bill, this massive spending tax bill, the largest spending bill in our nation's history, largest tax increase in 50 years, and that's why I opposed it. Right, uh, you, because you knew the 3.5 was coming. If it was just the uh, 1.2, yeah. you probably would have given it more consideration. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you look at most Americans believe that investing in infrastructure, true infrastructure, bridges, highways, airports, broadband, that makes sense. That's all part of continuing to make our country competitive in the global economy. But there was so much other nonsense in that bill that I opposed. And furthermore, it wasn't paid for. But probably most importantly, it is connected. As you can see what's happening here in Washington, they're connecting the two bills to to be an enabler to pass this horrible three and a half trillion dollar bill and that's why i oppose the other one so when so the way it'll work is if they vote on both these and give it back to you uh you can't touch it right so the 3.5 it's just going to be democrats so if it ends up coming back to the senate as 1.7 or 1.9 republicans are just bystanders correct correct every republican is opposing it, all 50 of us. Brian, I've never seen the Republicans in the Senate more united in opposing this horrible bill. That, that's the very good news. Uh, the, the disarray, the donkey on donkey battling on the Democrat side, I've never seen them more divided. So this is what we've got to watch. Are they going to be able to pull Mansion Cinema into their 50 or not? That's the, you know, the $1.5 or $3.5 trillion question. Cinema is pushing back on raising the corporate tax rate. It's now at, uh, it's at twenty. It's at twenty eight. Uh, it's going to the mansion would sign off on twenty eight, on twenty five rather. Uh, Cinema says no, no to raising the top individual rate from thirty seven to thirty nine. Cinema says no when it comes to capital gains rate uh, rising, maybe even doubling their proposed. She says no on that. Uh, so we, I, I, I'm wondering how firm they'll stand because they've already uh, altered the bill. Even Joe Biden admits it's not going to be 3.5, more like 1.7 or 1.9. Goodbye free community college. Reduce funding on home and elderly care. Reduce uh, from 12 to four weeks on paid benefits. No clean electricity program. But I hear there's other green stuff embedded in this. So 
What are you what are you gleaning from the negotiations that are just purely between Democrats? Yeah, well, you're seeing two two forces at work. You're seeing Joe Manchin pushing back on the the Green New Deal nonsense. And and Brian, if you want to see what's going to happen to our country if they pass this Green New Deal nonsense, look no further than Europe, where when you say your prayers at night, pray for a warm winter for Europe because they're running out of energy because they walked away from nuclear, they walked away from their coal plants, they went all to renewables, and guess what? They can't meet the supply, or they can't meet the demands they currently have with the current supplies. So that's what Joe's pushed back on. Cinema has been pushing back on, on the tax rates, and God bless her for doing that. I fought hard back in 2017, Brian, to get reductions for the Main Street business. These we call the pass-throughs, the S-Cores, the LLCs, in addition to the C-Core, the corporate tax cuts. Why? Because cutting taxes is a means to an end. The end is economic growth and higher wages, and that's exactly what we saw going on under President Trump. We saw a booming economy. We saw rising wages. We saw the lowest unemployment rates for minorities that we'd seen in in generations, and the Democrats now are going to throw that all away and raise taxes. Uh, And and what's, what's chilling, Brian, is they're looking to raise these tax rates at rates that be higher than communist China for businesses. So as we think about global competitiveness, and Brian, I spent 28 years in the private sector before coming to Washington. I ran global businesses. The way you compete and you win against countries like China is to have competitive tax rates in the United States. If there's anybody who's cheering right now for what's going on with the Democrats, what they're trying to push, it's the Chinese. They are hoping that Biden succeeds in this because it's going to set America back. Well, what about people who say, you know, I am not, I don't understand why Amazon and uh, these other companies aren't paying any corporate tax. Why shouldn't they? What do you say to that? Well, let me tell you something. The corporate tax revenues that came in just this last fiscal year, the federal fiscal year ends on September 30th, were the highest in the history of our country. And that's after we cut the rates. So it goes back to the principles that many of us who are conservative and believe in limited government know that you, when you reduce taxes, you have to generate more taxable activity because you have economic growth. So the corporate tax, corporate America paid more tax than ever before in our nation's history. And furthermore, on the individual rate side, the, the federal government collected over $2 trillion of taxes from, from the individual rate side, which is the, the smaller businesses and pass-throughs. That was an all-time record as well. So what it tells you, you cut taxes, you actually increase revenues because it generates economic activity. Right. And uh, believe it or not, Joe Biden does not agree with that. Uh, He says trickle-down economics uh, does not work. Uh, To Take a look at the numbers. Cut 12. We have to once again build America from the bottom up and the middle out. Again, not the top down. And by the way, I'm a capitalist. I think if you can be a billionaire or a billionaire, fine. Just Do your fair share. Just do your fair share. You know, trickle-down economics has always failed. It hadn't built this country. You want to take that on? (laughs) Well, first of all, uh, I don't believe President Biden when he says he believes in capitalism. Everything he is doing is undermining the free markets of this country, whether it's incredible regulatory overreach, mandates coming out on the vaccine that's causing businesses to have to shutter their doors. or with tax rates. I mean, he is, 
he is doing and putting forward policies that are going to undermine the ability for this nation to continue to prosper and grow. And what he's forgetting about is we are in a global economy. It's a, it's a, when, when you look at businesses now, they're not just selling next door. They're selling around the world. And when, he, when he's looking to raise rates like this, it sets American companies at a disadvantage to countries like China. It's a huge mistake. Senator Steve Daines is with us. Yesterday, this voting reform failed in the Senate. And some people say that you uh, you didn't reward Joe Manchin for everything he's doing as a moderate on the, on the left side. Joe Manchin worked, he said, with Republicans, but you get that he gave no votes. Why didn't you vote for this voting reform? Brian, this was a clear, blatant, partisan attempt for the Democrats to take control of the country and undermine our democracy. See, they know they can't win without manipulating the laws. This bill would tip the scales in favor of the Democrats. It would allow unlimited ballot harvesting. In other words, anybody could run around and collect hundreds or thousands of ballots literally and turn them in on behalf of voters. It takes away the state's ability to enforce voter ID is another example. So what they want to do is they want to have a federal takeover of the election system. Our founding fathers feared this. That's why in the Constitution it talks about the important role the states individual play, individually play in the means and manner of which elections are conducted. That's why we have secretary of states in each state to administer elections. So a state like Montana, a state like Georgia, we passed voter reform laws to make it harder to cheat and easier to vote by requiring photo ID. Brian, if you go down to the library and want to get a library card, you've got to produce a photo ID. If you come to Montana and want to get a sufficient license, you've got to produce a photo ID. You want to go deer hunting, you produce a photo ID. Why shouldn't you also have to produce a photo ID to vote? It is overwhelmingly supported by the American people, and this bill that we voted against yesterday from Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi was to federally take it all over and to uh, rescind these important laws that states have put in place to make it harder to cheat. Senator Daines, uh, something else that's in the reconciliation bill that it, I better not survive, it would be criminal. That is Senator Menendez pushing to naturalize between 11 and 20 million illegal aliens. Came here illegally, don't have citizenship, beyond any DACA number. He's going to look to slide this into the reconciliation bill, which has to be, by definition, all about the budget. So if it's up to the, it might be up to the parliamentarian to stop this chaos. Well, yeah, th- th- this gets back to the question of whether it is uh, – they use the word germane. Is it relevant to the uh, the bill that they're trying to push forward here in reconciliation? Uh, this is, again, another example where the Democrats are trying to push all of their far-left agenda and jam it into one bill. And, Brian, I'm glad you're talking about this because so much in the media is, is talking about the number. Is it $1.9 trillion? Is it $3.5 trillion? Well, the number is important to talk about, but even more important is the underlying policies the far left is trying to push forward in Washington as we speak. Because the number – here's what they're going to do, Brian. What they're doing is they're going to shorten these, these massive entitlements that they want to put in this bill. By shortening them, let's say let's fund them for one year, it – it makes the number smaller, but the reality is these will be entitlements to be there virtually forever, and so it's gaming the system to try to make the number look smaller, but we've got to stay focused, as you just talked about, on the underlying policies like this amnesty bill that Mendendez is trying to push Right. Through. You're also pushing a bill to stop child predators from receiving government pensions. Why is this even necessary? Doesn't that go without saying? 
it is ridiculous. Here's what happened. Uh, in Montana, we had an Indian Health Services, a federal agency, uh, that had a child molester, a guy named Stanley Weber. For years, he was molesting children. He was convicted of sexually molesting children on the Blackfeet Reservation. And guess what? The federal government allows him to collect his taxpayer-funded pension, even though he was convicted for molesting children. This is just should be a common-sense layup to uh, put in place here to prevent child molesters from receiving taxpayer-funded pensions if convicted. Wow. All right, Senator Daines, uh, good luck. I know you're a bystander on the $3.5 trillion bill, but I think it's a reminder how much, uh, how much we saw uh, Georgia matter. This would not be an issue if you guys won one of two seats in Georgia. The ramifications are just catastrophic. Brian, that was 14,000 votes in Georgia. My good friend David Perdue, the senator from Georgia, on election night, if you remember, he actually got the most votes on election night. He, he won that night, except Georgia requires a 50% plus one, and so the top two candidates that have a runoff. But he was 14,000 votes short that night out of, out of millions of votes mm-hmm. cast. That's how tight this election was. And had we had one more Senate seat here, uh, we would have ball control on the floor of the Senate instead of watching Schumer do it. Right. So elections really matter. Make sure everybody gets out and votes. Right. Uh, Senator Steve Daines, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. 1-866-408-7669. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. But it's not our job to sell your agenda for you. They are not selling their agenda. And the only reason that I am so enthusiastic about this is because our democracy is on the line. I don't want America to lose its democracy. I don't want America to be a country of minority rule. And I don't want America to be a place where black and brown people like me, whose ancestors fought and died for the right to vote, are restricted from going to the voting booth. That is the most un-American thing to do. So I have this platform that I have now, and I'm speaking very passionate about it. Democrats, get your butts in gear and get passionate about saving this damn country. You're not doing it. You're weak. You are weak. You are weak. No doubt about it. Don Lemon believes what he's saying. I don't believe he's acting, and I just believe he is so way off. He actually believes that when you find out, the, when you curtail the number of drop boxes, because we never had them before, when you say goodbye to drive-through voting because it never happened before, when you say we're not going to mail every single person in the state a ballot because we've never done it before, now that we're out of the pandemic, you lose total control. And because there's so much pushback when it comes to voter ID, which makes no sense, you can't, without showing ID, now you can't even eat out in a restaurant, but you can vote. That is not telling black people or minorities not to vote or white poor people or white rich people only to vote. That has nothing to do with it. Why don't you have more faith in the minority community if you are labeling it like that, that they will find a way to go to their high school gym and vote on time? That they only that they only work on times when voting's available? There's no cynical 
sinister approach to these different states trying to rein in the voting. This is a response to the pandemic. Just like in 2020, the changes were a response to the pandemic. And the Democrats were much swifter with their legislatures, sometimes with governor, Republican governors not even noticing, passing legislation, they're loosening up the voting. Keep in mind, the voting, 75 million, the most votes any Republican ever got, Donald Trump. The House, they almost took the House. Nobody predicted these type of gains in the House. And if it wasn't for the ridiculous nature in which Georgia does their elections and the horrible way the Republicans handled the runoff election with President Trump dividing communities uh, in the, within the Republican Party because of his anger with the Republican governor and secretary of state, there would be a majority in the Senate, the slightest in my lifetime advantage in the House, and a Republican a Democrat taking over a country that had 75 million people vote for the other guy. So to me, I understand Don Lemon's passion. I almost feel sad that he feels that way. But I want to bring you to another big issue in our country, and that is what is happening with race in America. And with race in America is basically this. If you're white, you should apologize. You're the person of privilege. We discussed that a half hour ago. And if not, uh, if you're not white, and if you are white, keep your mouth shut because— uh, slavery happened uh, in 1619, and America is inherently racist ever since. Well, Condoleezza Rice spoke yesterday, and she was on The View. And I want to hear what you, let you hear what she had to say about critical race theory. I thought they didn't teach critical race theory yeah, until they went to, like, law school or something. That's oh. right. I sure hope not, because I'm not certain seven-year-olds need to learn it. I would like black kids to be completely empowered, to know that they are beautiful in their blackness. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, I don't have to make white kids feel bad for being white. So somehow this is a conversation that has gone in the wrong direction. Couldn't have said it better. And she went on to say she, he's, she would grow up in the segregated, segregated South. Mike in Daytona, Florida, you want to weigh in on the Virginia election. Dead heat, 46 for 46. Hey, Brian. Brian, when you when we out in the real world here, call our congressman, the senator. It's nearly impossible to get through. But every one of us, Brian, can uh, let them know how we feel by supporting Glenn Youngkin. Let's stop these disastrous Biden policies from bankrupting our country. Every one of us needs to support Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. We got 10 days. He's running for governor. Let's let them know how we feel. Yeah, I have a, we have a, a three Virginia stations, so hopefully uh, people understand where you're coming from. He's been very impressive so far, and I couldn't be less impressed with the very angry, uh, dismissive, arrogant Terry McCullough. You want four more years of that? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. The countdown continues to November 2nd, the release of The President and the Freedom Fighter. Uh, Chris Wallace with us surely, the author of Countdown, Bin Laden, the untold story of the 247-day hunt to bring uh, the mastermind of 9-11 to justice. 
He'll be with us shortly. And then the bottom of the hour, real deep thinker, great writer, David Harsani, senior writer for the National Review, syndicated columnist. You often see his columns in the New York Post. Uh, and he's just talking about, uh, we'll, we'll bring him to what's happening right now in Washington. So let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Virginia isn't a purple state anymore. It is a blue state. McAuliffe was supposed to be cruising to re-election. What's happening is it is a sign that there is a seismic shift happening in the electorate where these school board moms who voted for Democrats in 2018 are being driven back into the GOP fold by Democrats who are telling them you're not in charge of your kid's education. Which is a bad message. Dead heat. That's how the latest poll has the Virginia governor's race between McAuliffe and Youngkin. What it means for both parties and the issues that might be turning this blue state to Republicans for hope and help. Number two. Now, there's some really smart national press with me today. And they have understandably believed that there's no possibility of my getting this done. This has been declared dead on arrival from the moment I introduced it. But I think we're going to surprise them. Wow, uh, Joe Biden, build back smaller. That's the message level-headed Dems are sending to President Biden and his squad disciples. The details on the bill the Dems just can't agree on and why the whole thing could blow up still. Number one. It's just utterly ridiculous. We're talking about a mayor who wanted to defund the police so her wish is coming true in Chicago. Right. Exactly. This is, in effect, defunding the police. It's reckless. And she does not speak for people who live in vulnerable communities. Uh, James Craig, former police chief of Detroit, now wants to be the next governor of Michigan. How vaccines are saving lives and costing thousands of people their jobs and further dividing America of all ages, parties and backgrounds. The win Donald Trump gave the Democrats and how it could spell the Dems demise. With me right now is Chris Wallace, the anchor of Fox News Sunday and author of Countdown Bin Laden. Chris, welcome back. Good to be back. Hey, Chris, there's so many uh, people losing their jobs now. I interviewed someone this morning from NASA, 37 years at NASA, a scientist who has uh, 100 other NASA employees who don't want to get the shot. They don't feel comfortable with it, and they're going to be losing their jobs in a couple of weeks. This thing's getting bad. I got mixed feelings about it. and <laughs> Because on the one hand, I don't like... You know, I had Anthony Fauci on the show on Sunday, and I asked him about it and, and what's going on in Chicago. And I said, do you, do you have second thoughts when you're talking about a vaccine mandate? And in the case of Chicago, there's talk that, you know, a lot. I, they say 50 percent. I don't believe it's that high. But 20 or 30 percent of the police force may not, uh, you know, may be forced off the job because of it. Obviously, that's a terrible outcome. On the other hand, vaccines work. Mandates have worked, um, you know, and if, if people had followed the science and gotten the vaccine, I know you and I are going to disagree on this, Brian, but but look at Fox News. We have a mandate. You don't have to have the vaccine, but you have to have the vaccine or a test. Yep. And I'm I love I that. That's a, and I think that's a legitimate way to go. And, and actually, I think, incidentally, that was the way it was going to be in Chicago. You get a vaccine or a test because. Yes, you have personal freedom. On the other hand, do you have personal freedom to infect me? No. And I'm going to be in the workplace with people, uh, you know, I, I need to know. And, you know, I say it about me, but I think it's true of anybody who's in a workplace that I'm with people who are COVID free. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. You know, I'm vaccinated. I'm just going to tell you. I just am for people having a choice. And I know what you're saying, but, you know, the science indicates of late. Now, this could change because we constantly see this, but... If you are vaccinated, you can carry and give 
the virus. If you're not vaccinated, you can carry and give the virus. The thought is you're going to get mild symptoms if you are vaccinated, if any symptoms at all. So then it goes back down to personal choice. And being that we're at the 70 percent mark nationwide for eligible vac- people over 18, I think we're at that place they told us we're at. And that is the herd immunity. Cases are down 25 percent around the country. Deaths are down 50, 15 percent. The only, wait, the only wait. place it's do, up do, is the upper northwest. Do you know who, how many people are dying every day in this country from COVID? 1,500. It's a, it's a 9-11 every two days. 3,000 people are dying every two days. I, again, I, you know, I, if you want to say, okay, don't give a vaccine mandate, but give a vaccine mandate or a test, yep. I, 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 why is, what's unreasonable about that? Nothing. It's great. It's a, it's a great okay. answer. That's, people that's, might, then, yeah. let's, then let's go for that. Yeah, I, I worry about the mandate. When you just tell a bunch of people also, when you don't take in natural immunity, you don't flood the zone with antibody tests. Now this new deal is uh, vaccines for 5 to 12-year-olds. Your grandfather, would you want your grandson or daughter to get it? Well, and my wife and I, who's a grandmother, although I don't think of Lorraine as a grandmother, I certainly think of myself as a grandfather. Boy, did she make a mistake marrying me. What a, <laughs> what a, you know, biggest decision of her life, and she messed it up. Anyway, uh, I, I would say, you know, I, look, it's a good point. And I'm a little nervous about it. But on the other hand, if the CDC and, and it now turns out that that kids are getting infected absolutely in, per, in in the percentage that they exist in our population, it's not like they're not getting infected. They don't have those serious cases and many of them are asymptomatic, but that also makes them carriers. Uh, you know, I guess in the end, I believe in science. I, I was in, I, a kid in the 50s in public school in New York. And they had the polio vaccine, and yes, it was new. And our reaction was, this is a lifesaver. This isn't something to be a threat. And I took it happily, and my parents didn't give a second thought to getting it. And I, in the end, yes, I would be happy with my kids getting the vaccine. Okay. Um, I, understand, I understand the concern, but I would, if, they, if the FDA and the CDC approve it for kids who are six years old, fine with me. Are you going to be okay with a mandate that says, I want every 5 to 12-year-old getting it, or else they're not going to go to school? Well, this isn't about me, but I I mean— I'm just saying these are the issues you're going to be discussing on your panel. But what's what's the difference between that and all the other vaccines that kids have to get? Because you know that in every state in the country— you know, even in these, I've had the governor of Nebraska, uh, Pete Ricketts, on smart guy, thoughtful guy, and he's against the, is it the vaccine mandates for kids. And guess what? They have to get about a half dozen vaccines to go to public school in Nebraska. So what's the difference? I think the, I think people will push back on you and say, number one, they invented this a year ago, uh, and the the, yeah, the, the chance for fatality zero zero one zero point zero zero one percent, and a lot of parents go, I'll take that chance. Uh, and now we're seeing a mandate uh, dragged on by the CDC director for the whole school year. She says, don't plan on taking off the whole school year. So for two straight years, kids haven't an eighth, an eight year old hasn't seen the face of the person sitting next to them. So wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, you guys were all complaining because they weren't letting kids into school. And I understand that that was a very big issue. Kids, you know, having to be uh, isolated and Zoom, and they didn't get to see anybody. And now they're in school, and they're saying, let's take public health precautions. And and you're upset about that as well. Yeah, I think at this point, uh, with the, like I said, 0.001%, 
the the psychological damage you're doing to a kid uh, when especially the grade schoolers. I think take it off. It's up to the parent. I love what Florida's doing. Well, wait, but you say take it off. It's all, it's up to the parent. But it, you know, your, your kid, you decide. I don't want my kid wearing a mask. Right. My kid, I want him wearing a mask. Okay. So you're 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 deciding for my kid as well as well as your own. I will say to you. No, no, you I'm can wear saying, it. Your kid can go wear I a mask. But but the fact is, your kid may be spreading it, and and. You know, look, don't worry, my, your kid's got a mask on. Everything works so well. Because I don't have kids, is in preschool. He's three years old. He wears a mask. Now, I admit, sometimes the mask slips down on his nose and the teachers make him put it up. It is not some huge, horrible thing. But these kids are not freaking out because they have to wear they a are. mask. It, they are. No, I disagree with you. Yeah, uh, they are. And I, I talk to teachers well, too, I mean, and they're, they're flipping opinion, out too. I have an opinion. Yeah. Uh, a couple I, of things. I, Would I, you agree with this? We agree on this. We're doing just fine with the mask. Uh, we agree on this. Testing option, and it's a hassle. Uh, the way we have it in, in, with our company, your, your pass doesn't work if you're not vaccinated unless you have a test in whatever time we – I don't know how exactly it works. But you can't get into our building if, you, uh, if you're not vaccinated. You have to go to this testing area by Studio 4D, and you, you have to get tested before you can get to work. But at least there's an option, and that's what I think is the way. So I'm going to uh, – overarching. It's uh, the way this is being handled, even if you agree or disagree uh, with the President Biden, is further dividing the country. Do we agree on that? Yeah, but, uh, you know, you could argue that both ways. You could say it's because he's right. existing in it. You could say it's because 30 percent of the country – I mean, what is it, 65 million people haven't gotten a vaccination, a single vaccination yet, let alone two vaccinations. And again, it's not like COVID is over. I mean, there are 70,000. I understand the numbers are much better than they were. But I think that saying the percentage down is misleading. Let's talk about the numbers. 70,000 new cases a day. That was when we had that in July of 2020, when I interviewed Donald Trump. We were going nuts about that. That was a a forest fire. 1,500 people a day dying. That's 9-11 every two days. It's not good. Right. But I mean, if, if you look at other diseases, if you look at the fact that uh, the flu, whatever happened to the flu, by the way? Well, have we figured uh, out know, part of it? Yeah. You know why we didn't have the flu last year? Because people were doing safe, safe things. They were wearing masks. They were they were distancing. I, I mean, let me ask you a question. In yep. the middle of the winter, are you ever going to wear a mask again? Uh, not unless I have to. I'm not looking to get a you know, $5,000 fine or anything, but I'm supposed to wear it on trains. On Amtrak, they are so militant. It was nuts. I, I, you know, I'm in, if, I'm in a, if I'm on a train or I'm on a plane, which I guess you still have to wear a mask. Yeah, you still have to. I would wear a mask. I wouldn't if I had the choice, but I'm not going to sit there and cause a scene. Okay. Uh, you know, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, a couple other things. What, what are you hearing about this reconciliation package? We're talking to Chris Wallace's show, Fox News Sunday, coming up. His book is uh, still selling extremely well, Countdown Bin Laden, The Untold Story of the 247-Day Hunt. You're making it up to me. for Right. You know, why do you put me on and then then have me tick off all of your listeners? But I don't think you're ticking off. I think you're just speaking your mind. It's a valuable point of view. I mean, there's no one more experienced than you. you got to take all sides of every issue. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you. The book is selling very well, Countdown Bin Laden, a history thriller. Reconciliation, it is a mess. And I got to say, and this is where I, I, I pride myself is I call it like I see it. And, you know, I'm, on, I'm not on one side of the issue. I, I, think, I think Biden and the Democrats 
have just screwed this up so badly. Now, they may get a package, but, you know, suddenly today the big story is that Kirsten Cinema, the senator from Arizona, and, you know, the 50th vote, like every single one of them is the 50th vote, is suddenly saying, no, I do not want to raise taxes on corporations. I do not want to raise taxes on the wealthy. I just want to do it on the super wealthy. You know, it's like the line in an Adam Sandler movie, things I wish I'd known (laughs) <laughs> you know, before I got married, the it's it's insane that she is talking about this stuff. I'm not saying she's right or wrong, but the idea that in in late October and they have a deadline of a week from Sunday, that suddenly she's blowing up the whole tax program to to pay for this. I, it, it just seems to me that they've taken a bad, complicated situation and turned it into a disaster. They may still get a bill. But boy, it sure looks like the, the you know the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin has come out and he is against the this uh, the the green elements in this package. He's not for. Uh, he says, "I'm from an energy state. What do you want?" He said, "Manchin will not will oppose the electricity standard to force utilities to use cleaner burning fuels." He says, "A no to the clean electricity program." Uh, paid benefits on, on leave is down to four weeks from 12 weeks. Reduced funding for home care and elderly to $250 billion from $400 billion. Uh, this is pretty much Manchin knocking that down. No, it stays universal pre-K. What stays expansion of Medicare for dental and vision. The president wants to keep the free pay. He, that's where his line is. And he wants to find a way to keep the $300 billion investment for climate change. But you know what's sneaking in? Keep your eye on this. Senator Menendez is trying to legalize illegal immigrants in this package. An amnesty that'll, that'll push. That'll never happen. That'll never happen because the parliamentarian, the Senate parliamentarian, who's really the most powerful person in Washington, is going to say that's not a budget issue. They've tried two or three times and won't get through. You know, there's two ways of looking at this. Yep. And, you know, one way is that – let's say they do pass a $2 trillion packet. One way will be to say, oh, my God, look at all the things they cut out, and, you know, they took out free community college, and it was supposed to be $3.5 trillion and it's $2 trillion. You know, the, the progressives really got screwed. The flip side of looking at it is that Joe Biden will, in his first year, have passed the $1.9 trillion COVID relief, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure, and if – and I repeat if – he gets it – a $2 trillion social tax and spend bill, that actually is a hell of a lot of money and would be accomplishing a lot. So, yes, the I mean, and that's the other thing that strikes me about this. I understand from a negotiating point of view why they've got to sound like it's, in you know, unacceptable. The progressives, or as I used to call them, the liberals, really will have done well if they get all of that spending. I'm not sure the country will have done well, but they will have done well. Right. His approval rating is really plummeting. I mean, if you look at the— In the tank. Yeah. And I think part of it is not so much the policies, although I think the policies are real problems. It's the competence level. This was supposed to be the, the old yeah. hand. He was going to restore uh, competence and things were going to go back to normal. You look at Afghanistan. You look at us having lost complete control of the border. You look at inflation. You look at supply chains. You look at this mess on Capitol Hill. It, it doesn't it, – it, I don't care who what your political views are on policy. It does not fill you with confidence. Doesn't. Chris Wiles, we're going to watch on Sunday, no matter who you have on. That's right. But I promise we're going to be talking about this. And the Virginia governor's race, which, boy, really is heating up. And, is, you know, if Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, wins in a state that Joe Biden won by 10 points just last November, uh, Democrats ought to be running very scared. Chris Wallace, uh, never scared to talk to you. I hope you're never scared to talk to me. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you, You Brian. You got it. We'll come back, take some calls, and then David Harsani, a deep thinker, great writer, uh, he'll be with us. Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move. 
With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. 1 866 408 7669. Just a quick note President of Freedom Fighter comes out on the second, uh, especially for my New York uh, listeners, uh, WABC and WRCN, some hours. Uh, we are going to be at Man- in Manhasset at Publicans. We I had this famous, there's this famous independent bookstore. It's sad, uh, but they're out of business uh, because of the pandemic. We're unable to sustain themselves because no one would come in for a year. So go to Brian, uh, just go to BrianKillMe.com and register for tickets. It's free, and I can sign books there and, and a beer and book situation. Then I'm going to Staten Island, so be there. I'm hearing great things. Tunnels to Towers is uh, really located there. So many of their, uh, some of the people are there, supporters are there. They're a great sponsor of our show. Hope to see everyone out my first time. So just go to BrianKillMe.com, and you can also download the book early. I think download or order it. It'll come to you and make sure it's there in the second, especially with everything on barges. But we did. I can guarantee you I'm going to you're going to get the you're going to get your present because we ordered like 500,000 books. So it's the one present that will arrive on Christmas. If you order it, I promise one 866 on the number to uh, to join the show and Brian the number to get tickets. Also on stage, November 7th, first time, Charlotte, West Virginia, Charlotte, Charleston, West Virginia. And then I'm going to be in Orlando at Punta Vedra in Clearwater. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you have a pulse and a marginal desire for a better life, you know that President Biden is in trouble. My advice to the president is this. Mr. President, you've just got to try harder not to suck. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is stop worrying so much about the wokers. Stop worrying about the wokers and start worrying about America's workers. They made America great. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And we're not going to get this country back on track. And the president's not going to be more popular with the American people until he stops worrying about wokers and starts worrying about workers. Nobody puts it better than Senator John Kennedy in plain speak, as intelligent as he is. He speaks like every man. And that is so true. And he's giving a Democrat advice that he really should take, President, uh, President Biden, because nobody's way to the left. There's just a handful of people, a small section of society is way to the left. Nobody wants to be led there. Uh, David Harsani joins us now, senior writer for the National Review, syndicated columnist for the New York Post, author of a new book. It's excellence called Euro Trash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent, meaning Europe. And, David, I'll get to that, but I want to talk about this because you've been writing about it a lot. And that's the policies of President Biden over the last nine months. He has created these problems. The pandemic was not his fault. But what has happened from there on in, uh, from the mandates on down, has been, let alone the supply chain, the empty shelves, the Afghanistan exit. This has been ter- terrible. Also, the inflation. We're throwing $2 trillion into the economy, trying to throw $3.5 trillion into the economy. 
in the midst of the worst inflation we've had in, in maybe decades. So that is all self-inflicted. And, and absolutely, he has not governed in the way that people perceived him, right? I mean, his whole shtick was that he was the moderate person who was going to bring back normalcy. And there is nothing happening here that normal. And his policies and the things that he supports are far to the left on cultural issues, on abortion, on, on economic issues, on nearly anything you could think of. You know the Fox News poll, they don't lean right. Uh, if anything, they lean left. I don't know the, the, the science. It's not intentional. I'm just saying the final result. Listen to this. His presidential approval rating is right now, with Democrats at 75%, was 86 in September, with Republicans basically at 12%. Independence, this has got to be the killer, was at 42%, is now at 27%. On the economy, 26% say the economy is good under him. Uh, when it talks about uh, when it talks about uh, uh, the uh, what is the most important to registered voters, inflation. Just like you said, eighty-seven percent say it's number one. Political division, seventy-six percent. Nobody could tell me he hasn't made it worse. Healthcare, seventy-six percent, and schools, seventy-three percent. Unemployment, seventy-one percent. The deficit, seventy percent. Climate change is way at the bottom, uh, believe it or not, and so is infrastructure. The president doesn't seem to care. He doesn't care about his border policy where he got 23% approval rating from the country. What 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 is he doing? I don't know what he's doing and but and I think actually of all the things you mentioned the border I think is always an underrated issue for a lot of people. They don't always talk about it, but inflation is important because it's something that's tangible to every single American who goes to a store. Whereas, you know, you argue about critical race theory. I'm not saying these, these issues aren't important, but for many people, they're just theoretical, right? They're not in the school board meeting. They don't have kids in school, whatever. But inflation is something that's killing him. And those poll numbers are quite horrible. I mean, when you look at the numbers of, uh, with independence uh, leading up to a midterm, these are really bad numbers. And I'm not just saying that in a partisan way. I think you have a president who, even on issues that he was supposed to sort of excel at foreign policy, whatever – uh, has been has been a disaster. So I don't know how you even come back from something like that to be popular again. I don't think you can. Well, right now you have gas up 42 percent, energy bills up 54 percent. And Ron Klain says these are basically high class problems. Why would he find that tweet and retweet this Jason Furman sure. Ivy League tweet, who is a former advisor to Barack Obama? I thought this was supposed to be the adults finally took over the office. Why is he retweeting anything? Why isn't he helping? There's this weird thing that the Biden administration spokespeople do. I noticed as well, they're always trying to dismiss the worries of Americans. Like the other day, Jen Psaki said something like, oh, people are going to have to wait for their treadmills or you yeah. know, on Christmas or whatever. It's just a weird way to dismiss fears of inflation for, because inflation is not just about your Christmas gift. It's about retirees having their wealth destroyed in their savings accounts and in their – uh, you know, retirement funds. This is a serious issue for a lot of people. And the older you are, the more you remember the 70s and the more you realize that stagflation is, is something that's, you know, undermines entrepreneurship, undermines home ownership, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, you write about this in, in one of your columns, uh, the Pelosi press. But now since that time it came out, when she got mad at the media for not selling this spending program better, he basically said the same thing yesterday meaning the President of the United States. I think you have another column here. Cut 10. Now, there's some really smart national press with me today, and they have understandably believed that there's no possibility of my getting this done. 
This has been declared dead on arrival from the moment I introduced it. But I think we're going to surprise them because I think people are beginning to figure out what's at stake. So uh, just real quick, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, that's a lie. I mean, everyone, want, all the major press uh, in, in, in America want, thought he could do it and wanted him to do it and at our crusade for him to do it. So I don't even know what he's talking about. A couple things. Now I want to go to your trash. It's so interesting, the comparison you made. Everywhere you look, America's bad, the worst. We're, we have lost our way. We're a declining power. Really? If you look at the Chinese economy, you see the fact that they have a housing, uh, the, the housing bubble there is going bust. You see the fact that they're still dealing with this virus at an extremely high level. You also see they're getting rid of all free market principles that started turning that economy around. And you realize they got some real issues. But when you point to Europe, so many people want to say they're so settled, they're so down, and we're so primitive. But in your book, Eurotrash, you bring reality to it. The subtitle, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of a Dying Continent. Uh, Is there a belief in America that Europe's got it right? And what should they all know if people listening to us right now believe that? Well, there is. I mean, there's been a long-held belief that Europeans are more sophisticated and smarter than us, but now it's sort of more widespread belief. You see it with pundits and politicians. Uh, I would say like this. If you made Britain one of the most successful countries in Europe a state tomorrow, they would be the second poorest state in the Union after Mississippi. All, almost all, every European country would be in the bottom third, other than like city-states like Luxembourg and Monaco and places like that. There is no econo- there is not on any economic front anything that Europe does better than us. In in 2020, every Nobel Prize was awarded to either American or, or team with an American on it. Um, in the top 30 biggest tech companies, there's only one European company, and most of the others are American. I mean, I could go on and on. So I don't really understand why people think they do things better there. I can hope that they're ideological, and people like Paul Krugman, for instance think that America's too messy, that we have too many freedoms, that we take too many risks. He's a technocrat, and he wants America to be more like Europe because of that. Yeah, he, uh, that guy, I, I, that's, I, that's the one column I know to, to pass over every single day. It's uh, <laughs> the only thing I'm certain of. But you go off and you say when it comes to health care, well, Europe has – everyone gets health care. Does anybody want Europe's health care or the U.K.'s health care? You believe we still have the best. Yeah, I do. I mean, when I, I dive into this deeply, I mean, when you look at the – especially Britain, Britain has basically a totally socialized healthcare system. It's a disaster for people. Yes, I mean, it's available if you want to walk in and people call it free, like, you know, like they don't pay for it in their taxes or something. But in many other ways, it's not. I'll give you two quick statistics. One is everyone always talks about they have longer longevity in, in, in Europe. They do slightly, but it has nothing to do with healthcare. It has to do with how we live our lives. We drive more, so we have more vehicular deaths. We, you know, the, just the way we live. And the other one is how, you know, child mortality rates are a little bit worse. But the truth is, it's because Europe counts their numbers differently. We uh, try to save every life, every premature baby, no matter how premature they are. And Europeans don't count those numbers. When you really take a deeper dive, the healthcare, and don't get me wrong, European healthcare is still better than most places in the world, but it's not any better than here. Um, and we're headed in the wrong direction if we're trying to copy their system. Where do immigrants do better? <laughs> immigrants do better here. I live in the D.C. area. I have neighbors from all over the world that would be killing each other in any other country. And uh, Europeans allow massive immigration without assimilation. It is disastrous for a country. Um, we excel at that. And this is, you know, aside from illegal immigration, which we shouldn't want, you know, our regular immigrants come here. There's not, there's never been anything like it in human history. And people who don't understand that don't understand America. Understood. Uh, now, when it, when it comes to 
when it comes to these Nordic states. Bernie Sanders is always saying, look at Norway, look at Sweden. Why can they do it and we can't in terms of uh, universal health care, maybe even some universal income? What are the Nordic welfare states and their economies? Why wouldn't that work here? Well, first of all, scale. You're talking about small countries. Denmark's a small country. Norway's a small country. And also, Norway has oil money that they hand out to the population. We don't do that kind of thing here. But more than that, I'm not sure what they do better. Do you, do you, does Bernie wants only rich people to pay for everything, but that's not what they do in Sweden and Denmark. Everybody has to pay. The average middle-class person pays over 60% of their paycheck off the bat in taxes. I mean, that's not in the DNA of America. It's not, in the, it's not going to work for 600, I'm sorry, 350 million people. And more than that, you know, we, we, we shouldn't want a, a, a cradle-to-grave nanny state. We have a state that, that is a bunch of self-selected risk-takers who want to do their own things, take risks, entrepreneurship, et cetera. They don't want to be taken care of. At least they didn't want, used to be wanted be taken care of. I don't know about the future. Um, so those are just the top line reasons. David Arsani, our guest, his book is now out called You're a Trash, Why America Must Reject the Failed Ideas of the Dying Continent. So when it comes to racism, you tackle race. Condoleezza Rice was asked to tackle it, too. Remember how she grew up, where she came, and what she's already accomplished. She was on, did something I think I would fire my agent if they put me there. She did The View. She hosted. Cut 32. I thought they didn't teach critical race theory until they went to, like, law school or something. That's right. I sure hope not, because I'm not certain seven-year-olds need to learn it. I would like black kids to be completely empowered, to know that they are beautiful in their blackness. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, I don't have to make white kids feel bad for being white. So somehow, this is a conversation that has gone in the wrong direction. And she went on to talk about how she grew up in the segregated South, couldn't go to a theater, couldn't ride a bus. She went over that. And she said, still, look at where we are today. I'm not going to vilify a bunch of people that weren't around 200 years ago for the horrors of the past. What happened to that mindset? And what does it mean for uh, immigrants here? And what does it mean for race in America? What did you discover? Well, it's terrible to tell immigrants that they're coming to a place that doesn't value them, that is racist, that is xenophobic, when it is simply untrue. We can just look at Europe. There are black uh, Europeans have, low, have higher unemployment, lower home ownership. They, you know, polls show that they feel that racism is much or more than Americans. Um, this is because it's a free place, America more merit-driven society than than Europe is. And in a merit-driven society, you can achieve anything no matter what your color is or not. Um, this self-hatred of this country is perplexing to me. People ask me, you know, can you explain it? I don't know why, why it is the way it is. This is the least racist place there is on earth. I, we live together. You know, I'll give you an example. I have an Indian neighbor and a Pakistani neighbor who would otherwise be killing each other. People live together here. Um, in peace in many ways. That's not to say we're utopia, obviously. It's not to say there aren't racists. There always are. That's, you know, we're human beings and there are going to be bad people. But by any quantifiable measure, the United States is less racist than perhaps any place on earth. And I think that uh, people have to stand up and start saying that because what's happening is a self, uh, self-destructive self behavior that we see in our schools and elsewhere. And Condi Rice, it was very articulate in, in, in pushing back against that. Yeah, and it's not like she was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Uh, she was born in a rural area where dad was a football coach, not making a million bucks, and became a concert pianist, an outstanding skater, a great legal, a, a great international relations expert, uh, focusing on the Soviet Union. 
National Security Advisor, Secretary of State, and a lot of people would have voted for president. I don't think she let anything stand in her way. Uh, David Harsani, nothing stood in your way. Great perspective. We need some of this to take a step back from America and realize how far we've come and how much better we are having been born here. David, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. You got it. Eurotrash is now out. Why America must reject the failed ideas of a dying continent. What are your thoughts on that and more? Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. These are kitchen table problems that we're seeing across America. Certainly here in California, we're seeing them as well. And the president is facing the challenge that the policy he supported, unfortunately, is making some of these issues worse. The fact of the matter is that we have uh, labor markets the way they are. We have inflation the way it is in no small part due to the president's massive fiscal expansion and also policies that, quite frankly, create disincentives to work. So some of this economic trouble is of his own doing. I think the president's going to have to acknowledge that. He's going to have to reverse course. I don't see that happening. Fundamentally, the direction he's heading in, I think, will make problems even worse when we get to next November, not better. Wow. Uh, so we have a, a lot going on. You know, Chris Wiles pointed out something early in the hour. As as bad as everything has gone for the president, and I'd be more than if Joe Manchin. This is my thing. If Joe Manchin was president of the United States, even if I want, I thought Donald Trump would, is a better president. If Joe Manchin was president of the United States, the temperature in this country would be about a tenth of what it is right now, because he's truly a moderate. He's not going to change, even if nothing got passed. He's like, listen, I'll make a deal, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to destroy the the country's energy. Uh, ability to to become energy independent. I'm not going to let defense go by the wayside. I'm not going to just make this country move away from a market economy. I'm not going to become so politically correct that I change the curriculum in all these schools. Everyone would just be calmer. There'd still be a squad, but the squad wouldn't be prominent. They look like the outliers they are. But so far, things have gone terrible simply because of the choices President Biden has made. On Afghanistan, I don't need to fill fill you in. On the border, I don't need to fill you in. You couldn't do both those things worse. Next, when it comes to selling his program, he didn't even talk to his own party. And when it comes to this mandates on the vaccines, he's contradicting what he just said. So much of what he said is flat out a lie. One of which he made up some other Amtrak story of a good friend of his as a conductor that he's been on there for two million miles. An inconsequential story that is not true. The guy who was dead or retired at the time he said the incident took place and has been dead for years. And he talks to him like he talked to him yesterday. But if you want to know really what went wrong, here's somebody cheering for him hard that hated Donald Trump more than anything. Thomas Friedman, cut 19. I think that the party has gone too far to the left for this country that is still center-right and center-left. My God, people don't want democratic socialism. They don't want just to hear that we're helping people who are hurting. Yes, we must help them. They want to hear that you don't have a safety net. You have a launching pad, Joe Biden. Not some giveaway that got whittled down from 3.5 to 3 to 2.7 to 2.5 to wherever the heck it is right now. This is so exciting what they're trying to sell. 
and they've so poorly sold it. And that is what really Democrats should be asking themselves. How the hell could we be losing? Yeah, by the way, so exciting what they're trying to sell. That's where he lost me. But there's other stuff that he said was gratifying. As a liberal columnist with The New York Times, who's very well-read and smart and a bestseller, Thomas Friedman, even though I don't agree, everything except that last line. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Marshall Blackburn standing by. And Stuart Schiller Sr. will be joining us. You know his son, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Schiller, the the, uh, Marine who spoke out and was put into solitary confinement. Had his court case well underway. It's going a lot better than many people feared, but he's not out of the woods yet. So his dad will be joining us to tell us what he's up against as he tries to rebuild his uh, what's left of his career. Evidently, this guy has fought with great valor and spoke his mind and took accountability for his actions, unlike senior commanders who embarrassed us on the world stage in a way I didn't think was possible militarily. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Virginia isn't a purple state anymore. It is a blue state. McAuliffe was supposed to be cruising to re-election. What's happening is it is a sign that there is a seismic shift happening in the electorate where these school board moms who voted for Democrats in 2018 are being driven back into the GOP fold by Democrats who are telling them you're not in charge of your kid's education. Which is a problem. Dead heat. That's how the latest poll has the Virginia governor's race. McAuliffe and Youngkin. What's it going to take for Youngkin to pull up the upset of the year? Number two. Now, there's some really smart national press with me today, and they have understandably believed that there's no possibility of my getting this done. This has been declared dead on arrival from the moment I introduced it. But I think we're going to surprise them. Really? Uh, Just about all the press is cheering for you, pulling for you, demanding you talk to each other, and you've totally screwed it up by the lack of communication. Your reconciliation program's been out there for six months, and you forgot to talk to the moderates. Good job, Joe. We'll tell you the latest on where the reconciliation package is. Number one. It's just utterly ridiculous. We're talking about a mayor who wanted to defund the police, so her wish is coming true in Chicago. Right. This is, in effect, defunding the police. It's reckless, and she does not speak for people who live in vulnerable communities. That is James Craig, a police chief of Detroit, who wants to be the next governor of Michigan, about these vaccine mandates and why so many cops, firefighters, and city workers are walking off the job because they don't want to get a vaccine. It is their right, I thought, but not in this country right now. President Trump gave Joe Biden an easy win with that vaccine, and he has helped it. to He's used it to divide the country, intentionally or not intentionally. That's what it is. Uh, with me uh, in about 10 minutes, it's Senator Marsha Blackburn to talk about that, where it's at. We're also monitoring uh, Merrick Garland, speaking to the House about CRT, speaking to the House about why they're looking to arrest parents and have the FBI involved because they say is threatening behavior at school board meetings. With everything the FBI's got on its plate, you really got him going to have to go after parents? Also, I'm going to the Alfred E. Smith Memorial Foundation dinner. Secretary Rice will be the keynote speaker. It's the who's who. 
of uh, of politics in there tonight, and I be, cannot wait to be back on the air with you tomorrow. have some photos to post to tell you what that's about. So let me tell you what's going on in this country. We have mandates. They're having hundreds, if not thousands, of firefighters going to be walking off the job. Right now, I understand 58% of firefighters in New York have vaccinations. That will rise when the mandates come in, but there's going to be thousands who are going to be forced to Quit their job and not get unemployment insurance. Same thing with cops. The same things is happening with cops in Seattle. Same thing that's happening with cops in uh, New York City. These cities are passing their mandates, and they think they're doing the right thing. Even if you are somebody that got vaccinated and think there should be mandates, do you want 10% of that hospital down the block without proper personnel, whether it's an orderly nurse or surgeon? Are you okay with NASA losing hundreds of workers, including scientists and engineers that have been there for decades because of this vaccine? Why not have a testing option in all these places? But Joe Biden had this massive win. He's effectively plowing under the Middle East peace that President Trump has given him. He's effectively plowed under the fact that Operation Warp Speed gave him this vaccine. And he used it as a cudgel and a hammer to hit it over the unvaccinated. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. You don't wear a mask, you're a horrible person. You don't wear a mask, you don't get a vaccine, you can't eat out. You can't go to a game. You're Kyrie Irving, you can't play in a game. Is that really how to bring the country together? When that was your mandate... For getting, people, for getting this job to begin with. And now you have parents who are going to be saddled with this. The vaccine is now cleared for 5 to 12-year-olds. You're a parent. I'm asking you right now. Did you get vaccinated? Are you okay with your second grader getting vaccinated on a vaccine they came up with last year? I don't have to deal with that, but I know my, I have two kids in college and one has a job. They all had to get vaccinated. They chose to do it. None of them would have had they had the choice, had they not wanted to play on their their college team, and go to their college. Carol Markowitz cut five on what she's dealing with as a parent and a columnist. I hope just like the parents fighting back against CRT, the parents who are willing to fight for their kids on this are ready to be called names, to be called domestic terrorists, to be said that they don't care about science, that they don't care about their kids, that they don't care about other people's kids. But I think parents need to stay strong. You know, the World Health Organization came out with a malaria shot earlier this month. I'm not giving my kids that one either simply because they do not need it. It's not that I don't believe in vaccines. I'm vaccinated against COVID-19. I just don't believe that kids need it whatsoever. Right. And that's going to be her decision. And she is not a crazy Trump supporter. Uh, Neither is the NASA engineer I spoke to today. She's of Asian descent. Uh, She's located in Texas where the governor says no mandate, but the president does. And it's a federal organization. So she's got to go along with it. You're further dividing the country. You're making it harder on small business. I got hostesses coming up to professionals, CEOs saying, excuse me, can I have your vaccine card? And can I see your license? Really? And when it comes to voting, I don't need to see your license. I mailed you a ballot. It was in your box randomly. Oh, you voted four times? Well, I don't really. We have a way of ciphering that out. So when it comes to the voting, you think it's racist, most Democrats, if you ask for ID to voting. But when it comes to a vaccine, you better get it and you better prove that you got it and we'll track you if it does. We see what's happening in Australia. We certainly see people getting jailed and uh, and I think they're they're jailing mayors if their city tests positive with two greater numbers. That's not really the country we signed up for or used to. So I also want to go over this before and set the table for my interview with Senator Blackburn. And that is um, I'm going to end with this uh, on the coronavirus when it comes to masks kind of hopeful as numbers have dropped 25% uh, in, uh, almost in every state, 
except for the upper northwest and Minnesota area, that we're going to get rid of masks and get back to normalcy. Even though I see it in the south, we're watching games, and most a lot of people are going through the normalcy now, except for schools. But listen to the CDC director. I'm sure she's bright, she seems nice, but she's bad at her job. Cut one. As we head into these winter months, we know we cannot be complacent. We also know that um, from previous data that, that, that schools that have had masks in place were three and a half times less likely to have school outbreaks requiring school closure. So right now we are going to continue to um, recommend masks in all schools for all um, people in those schools. Is that what the teachers unions emailed you? Really? I thought so. That's what you got from the teachers' emails? Because we've already seen you just edit out their emails and make them policy. What makes anybody think that that is not just engineered by the Democratic teachers' union who use their leverage and their voting block to get what they want? And I would love to see this study that says kids wearing masks have less outbreak and shutdowns. Love to see that study. Meanwhile, a Harvard professor is urging his school to scrap the mask mandates by the end of the year. His name is Joseph Allen, associate professor. He penned the piece, calls on schools to do away with the polarizing mask of forcing children to wear masks, where there's a .001% chance of them being even hospitalized with this virus. We can't walk away and cower in the corner. 1-866-408-7669. one 866 I'm going to bring this all up with Senator Blackburn. I'll tell what I want to get her take on what's in and what's out in the Democratic-only uh, reconciliation bill and why the president's handled it so bad and what the Republicans can do to stop it, if anything. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think Joe Manchin uh, is, is, is really one of those uh, individuals who's trying to represent his state. Uh, he's from one of the most conservative states in the union, maybe the most conservative. And uh, I, I think the fact that he's been able to win in that state is a testimony to the fact that he's trying to remain faithful to to his constituency. Uh, I, I'm, I, I happen to, to like uh, the senator. I think he uh, is a good human being, uh, and and I might have some uh, different disagreements legislatively with him right now. Uh, I don't want to lose uh, Senator Manchin or anybody else from the party. Uh, I think he is a good voice uh, and and maybe one of those voices that helps to move people uh, to uh, a a more uh, centrist position. That is Emmanuel Cleaver. Uh, He is uh, worried, but there is some talk that Joe Manchin is prepared to switch to independent if the pressure gets too much and uh, people get too abrasive on his side. Not that he's afraid of it, but why does he have to deal with it? He's from an extremely red state. Uh, They put him in there. He's the only Democrat representing their state. And he's getting blistered by the left, not by Senator Marshall Blackburn, a member of the state judiciary, uh, the Senate Judiciary and Armed Services Committee. Senator, welcome back. That was Emmanuel Cleaver saying we like Joe Manchin. We just don't agree on that. What's going on on the left right now? Well, the left is in disarray at this point, and they're trying to coalesce people around 
what they have pushed forward, which is Bernie's budget, $3.5 trillion, which is more like $5 trillion, the infrastructure bill, which is not about infrastructure, but is $1.2 trillion in spending. And then all along the way, they're trying to put in all of these programs that are just ridiculous. When you look at things as silly as tree equity in this $3.5 billion budget, expanding Medicaid, expanding Medicare, free education from early childhood all the way through junior college. They're wanting to just say, we control your life, daylight to dark, 24 hours a day, cradle to grave. It is a socialist agenda. And Brian, actually, you can look at what they're trying to do. They're trying to break down the confidence the American people have in the government and then rebuild it and rebuild these programs in their image, which is a socialist image. Well, right now, uh, it looks like that they're trying to get a way to pay for it. Senator Sinema says, I'm not for raising the corporate rate. I am not for raising the tax to the top tax bracket rate from 37 to 39. I'm not for raising the corporate rate that you guys want and drill down on your massive tax reform. So how are they going to get it? They want to have the they want the government to negotiate on uh, with Medicare on drug prices. I don't see anything wrong with that. But they are also going to militarize the IRS. Seven hundred billion dollars surging into IRS funds to start tax enforcement. Are you guys just right. helpless to allow this? Because they have the number? No. What we have done, you can look at the vote yesterday, their attempt one more time to federalize elections, and Republicans were able to stop that. You can look at the fact that we now have people saying, cinema saying, I will not vote for things that are going to raise taxes. You can look at Manchin saying, no, I'm not going to vote for this amount of spending. We've been very successful, Republicans in both the Senate and the House, in making certain that we are pushing back on this. That is a good thing. Every day that we win is a victory for the American people because i got to tell you, Brian, the leftists, they only need to win once. What they're trying to do is cement their socialist agenda, which would take us decades to recover from, and they want to do it with one vote. We hear that Pelosi is trying to do her self-executing rule and her deeming and put the the three and a half trillion, the one point two trillion, and the debt ceiling all in one vote. So people only have to go vote one time. And I'm sure she'll let them vote by proxy if they don't even want to come to D.C. to pass that. Wow, in the House. So they'd raise it all at once. So do you believe that all – I know you're not in the House anymore, but do you believe all moderates are going to vote for this? No, I don't. And every day that we have good people out there talking about what is actually in this bill, every day that, as I call them, the security moms are seeing more about what the federal government, this administration, is trying to do to take over education and to instill their CRT 
and all these different components. That helps us every single day. Every day when Joe Biden stands up there talking about vaccines and basically is saying, hey, I'm going to get you fired from your job. That is a good day for the cause of liberty in this country. Uh, what do you think the Virginia governor race being tied at 46 uh, says about where this country is? Or do you believe this is just Terry McAuliffe against Youngkin? I think that it says a lot about where this country is. You know, Terry McAuliffe thought he was going to kind of do a quick skate through this race and not have to campaign very much because he was going to have all the support in uh, the north part of the state and up here in these collar counties to Washington, D.C. And what has happened is people are going, oh, no, 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 no. We're not for defund the police. We are not for CRT. We are not for mask and vaccine mandates on our children. You've got unions that are now saying we are opposed to the vaccine mandate. Indeed, I'm working on legislation that would exempt our people that were deemed essential workers during the pandemic, uh, exempt them from this federal mandate. People are not for the federal government looking at every transaction they make in their checking account. And because of that, some of this support that has voted for the Democrat candidates is falling away from McAuliffe, a lot of independents. You know, Brian, I was looking at polling yesterday. With independents, 60% of them oppose this Biden Build Back Better agenda, which I call the Build Back Broke agenda, because it would throw so many business entities and employers into bankruptcy. It would throw families into bankruptcy. Uh, lastly, on the mandates, uh, you are, yeah. how, what is Tennessee, what's happening with uh, with Tennessee and these uh, mandates, because I know your state isn't mandating everything, but the country is. And what we're doing, our General Assembly is in special session this week, and they're dealing with a recruiting issue. We have Ford doing their largest ever investment, and that is going to be in Tennessee. And then next week they're going to move to dealing with how they're going to approach the federal mandates. People are continuing on. Uh, government contractors have some issues with this. That's why I'm doing the legislation that would exempt all of these people that were essential workers. But I think Tennessee is going to figure out a way to remain the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yeah, we'll have to see because it's not happening elsewhere. We know the governor of uh, Arizona, obviously a Republican, but he's got a legislature that wants to mandate, and now you're going to lose a ton of cops, a ton of medical workers in New York City, a ton of firefighters. I mean, do they do they understand how this is dividing the country, even if most of the country is for mandates? That's according to the polls. You know what? They don't care. And that's the thing. They are focused on a socialist takeover, being able to disrupt huh. and destroy the institutions and rebuild it. So they really don't give a ripping flip so what much. somebody in the middle part of the country thinks. Senator uh, Marsha Blackburn, I know you do. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. When we come back, Stuart Scheller joins us. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Guys, and I'm not saying we've got to be in the in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. And that was uh, Stuart Scheller's, uh, Stu, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller. Uh, and he was talking about what was happening in Afghanistan. We're all horrified by the ineptness in which we did it, uh, how bad we looked. It's going to last for generations. And this Lieutenant Colonel who spent 18 years fighting these wars, was wondering, uh, you know, how, come they, how could they be doing this in his name? Uh, because of that, uh, he was warned not to. We put out another tape and they jailed him and put him in solitary confinement. He has now pled to guilty to all these charges and in a plea agreement with the Corps, Marine Corps, concluded a saga that began when he took social media to, by storm in August 26. But is it really concluded? Joining me now is his dad, Stuart Scheller Sr. Uh, Stuart, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Where does your son go from here? For what exactly? He pleaded guilty, got, got a one, I did one month without pay, but now does he get his pension restored or any... Uh, where, where's, where does he stand? Uh, he will not get his pension restored. And uh, so I got, I got to say something to you, Brian. Uh, I think this will put this all into perspective. I've been asked many times, how's Stuart doing right now? Yep. And I, and I will put it to you this way, Brian. If the executive team at Fox News, because of their poor planning and execution, resulted in the deaths of 13 journalists. And if you as a middle manager spoke up and said, hey, I, I demand some accountability or admit your mistakes, and as a result of you speaking up, they put a gag order on you, they put you in jail for nine days, if they then took you to court because you broke company policy, but you're an honorable man, Brian, you accepted accountability. You said, yep, I did it. I'm guilty. And, but before you went to court, Brian, they released the pretrial investigation and your medical and mental health records to the media. And then after court was over and you accepted accountability, they asked you to come back to work on Monday to face your accusers in a hostile environment. So people ask me, how's he doing? And I say, how would you be doing? Now, I will tell you, our son is a warrior. He's a fighter. He has been a fighter for America for the last 17 years. And I guarantee you, he will emerge stronger. But we are awaiting, where it stands is we are awaiting for the Secretary of Navy to sign off on his resignation. And uh, we have, uh, and that was part of the plea deal. So we're just asking him to expedite it. But Brian, using my analogy, you were still under a contract with Fox for three years. So technically they can ask him to come to work for the next three years in a hostile work environment and under a gag order. So no, he's not, he's not doing great, but you know what? Right. He is tough, and he'll come back. There's two chapters to this story. The first chapter was his call for accountability for a botched withdrawal. He's much more qualified 
to speak to that than you or I. But there's a second chapter. And the second chapter, I'm more, I'm qualified to speak to. I've been a, a management leadership executive coach and consultant for the last 25 years. I've helped Fortune 500 companies with leadership. And I will tell you in the last two months, I have never seen a more toxic work culture than I have witnessed up front and close with the Marine Corps. It's astonishing. They should be embarrassed. And, you know, I would ask Americans to write their Congress people, senators and representatives. I would ask them to write the Secretary of Navy. Um, if we're uh, giving budget money and appropriations to the Marine Corps, we probably ought to put some into management and leadership on how they can handle situations like this because they did not handle this well. And if you, if you want to know what they have done, go to we, – we put up a site called istandwithstu.com. Read Lieutenant Colonel Scheller's statement that he read in front of the judge last week. And, and it's long, but it's very powerful to give you an insight into how they have treated our war hero. Well, a couple of things. When you say toxic, toxic as it relates to you or overall? Well, toxic to how they're treating their decorated war heroes. The, the, the judge, Judge Colonel Hines, that proceeded over the court-martial, admonished the prosecution. He said, I've looked at Lieutenant Scheller's record, and I've never seen – he is top of the class, top flight, top of the tree – and he has never had a blemish. He's one of the outstanding leaders in the Marine Corps until he spoke up on August 26th. And then they proceeded to try to crush him, to make him look bad. And it's, it's warfare. They know how to do this. And, and, uh, but they're not going to win in the end because our son will eventually get out. We hope it's not three years, but, you know, if you get out of the Marines, side, get out of the Marines, he's out of jail. Correct. Yeah. He is out of jail, but he is still not out of the Marine Corps. So they're, they're not letting him go until the Secretary of Navy signs his resignation. So I, so he's not he's getting his one-month fine, which I think the judge really stepped up. I, I think you're pleased with what the judge did, right? He defied the, the – correct? The judge was incredibly fair. Right. And the judge almost – I mean, the judge in the releasing of his medical and mental health records – pretty much admonished the government saying there should be an investigation. And I would expect the person or the persons that were responsible for this to come back to my court martial court. Now, will there be one? What do you, what do you think? Who knows? When I say toxic culture, anything and everything that you could do to diffuse this situation since August 26, in my opinion, as a leadership and management coach, they did the opposite. So I, I've used the word toxic, but it, it's bullying, it's intimidation, it's pressure, it's psychological warfare to make him look bad and to make him crack. Read a statement and you'll get a flavor for it. So uh, how did he handle being jailed? How did he get through it? Did you, do you, did you, I mean, I can't imagine being in solitary confinement not knowing even what's going outside the walls. You know, again, um, yeah, he, he, he shared with us he had a slit in the door. They did allow him to, to walk, I think, for an hour a day or maybe two by himself. 
But I will tell you, uh, again, our son is tough. Our son is resilient. He's been on deployments where he's been shot at every day. Um, you know, he can handle this. He's, he's disappointed. He loves the Marine Corps. It's in his statement. And the fact that it has come to this, be, you know, he, he said early on in one of his videos, if someone would have just called me, I would have gotten back in line and submitted. But no one cared. The minute he spoke up and challenged leadership, they went on a systematic course to try and destroy him. Is he hardened now, by the response he got from the rest of America? Oh, he is extremely grateful, and so are Kathy and I as parents. America stepped up. America contacted Congress people. America donated to his site to pay for his legal fees since he's going to be walking away from his pension. And his, his wife and children will be very well taken care of. So thank you, America. And he is very grateful for that. And when he is able to speak and out of the Marine Corps and off of his gag order, I'm confident he will express his gratitude. But for yeah. now, it's, it's me. I'm not on yeah. a gag order. No, and, you, and you're a great spokesman, as is your wife. I stand with Stu.com to find out more. It's excellent. Uh, Stu, I'd love to keep in touch along the way. And please give your best to your son. Thank you, Brian. Thank you to your listeners. You got it. Uh, when we come back about my new book and more to know, you're not going to believe some of the stories about, uh, about that and the special we have coming up November 7th, President and Freedom Fighter. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. America has been blessed to have the right people at the right time. And I don't know how that is. George Washington could have been a king and said, eh, no thanks. Abraham Lincoln and Fred... Frederick Douglass formed a partnership that changed America forever. So I don't know. I, I don't know if this is just destiny playing out. Just an atrocity and a challenge that birthed a nation that all of us can be proud of. I mean, think back to those days in the Civil War where brothers literally fought mm. blood brothers. Fathers fought their kids because they wanted the Declaration of Independence and this notion that all men were created equal to be real. And it wasn't until the Civil War was fought and slavery was terrible. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. The President of Freedom Fighter is out, and that there's going to be a special on it November 7th at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time at night. So uh, the book comes out November 2nd. I think it's really an important book. Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass in their battle to save America's soul, because we are talking so much about race today as if we never had a civil war, as if we are still defined by slavery. And that's the 1619 and the CRT curriculum, which I want to push back from by bringing facts and quotes. So I was able to talk to Senator Lindsey Graham, white and poor, growing up with Senator Tim Scott, black and poor. And now they're the sitting senators in South Carolina, the first state to secede from the union. Six others would follow. And within days of uh, President-elect Lincoln winning the election, he came in with no Southern votes, 40 percent of the overall population uh, in his corner, and he had a divided country and how they came back together and what these two great men did to make it happen. And the two most unlikely paths to success and prominence in history ever, when you have Frederick Douglass, born a slave, never knew his parents, still not sure of his father, knew somewhat of his grandparents, and then he was able to grow up in this horrible 
slave act, uh, uh, environment, found a way to manipulate him his way to learn to read and write, find his way to freedom, and become this impactful international scholar. Doug Brinkley on the pairing and what it meant to America, cut 102. As flawed as America was for the African-American, as brutal as the African-American experience was early, he wanted to make the country better. He didn't want another country. I think that's the part that people don't know about Frederick Douglass. He wanted to make his stand here, almost in biblical terms. He saw the promise of America, which is hard to do when you're being beaten. So Douglass's gift was he never let the slave owners How much time? own him. Not just physically in the showdown, but emotionally, spiritually, he transcended it. So that's Douglas Brinkley. He's just so engaging. And you just talk about Douglas, and we were sitting in, in front of the White House, and then we went to uh, Frederick Douglass's house in Washington. Think about this. He got to know six presidents, uh, none better than Lincoln, and he worked tight, tight with, with Grant. He's getting into the White House. This guy who was a slave ends up standing on the line to meet Lincoln and stays there two minutes before he's whisked to meet the 16th president of the United States. So the president and the freedom fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. On sale uh, November 2nd. Now it's time to find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. All right, let's get started with more to know. Megan McCain blames the hostile work environment for her exit from The View in the new interview with Tucker Carlson. I really enjoyed my four years at The View in the sense that I found it a great challenge. It's a huge platform. People watch it. It's the number one show in daytime. But you are targeted if you're the token conservative and you are treated differently. And it's been interesting having my uh, book excerpt released today because people just really don't seem to be surprised at all. But there is validation in hearing it from my mouth. And I felt like it was really time for me to show my story, instead of having it through the lens of the liberal media and the liberal people who were leaking from internally on the show I worked on. Megan McCain uh, weighing in. I, I hope she ends up back here. It's not my uh, pay grade. But Megan McCain's defiant, opinionated, determined, and contrarian. She's also at times angry, depressed, anxious, insecure, bursting with raw emotion. It's all in her audiobook. Uh, Bad Republican, the name of it. Uh, she's always great. I always found her endlessly interesting, and I always thought it's, her dad was great, too. Even when he yelled at me, which he did, but he always could call in. Uh, Megan McCain actually was on with Hannity. I got that wrong. Next. Aaron Rodgers is a big problem with the woke cancel culture. Let's listen. There is this culture that exists that gets off, I think, on shrinking people, keeping them small, keeping them in a box, quieting them through uh, cancelization or demeaning comments. And that I also exist outside of that in a different realm where I do feel confident in things I say and I do stand behind what I do. I like to speak the truth and I'm not a part of this uh, woke cancel culture that gets off on uh, trying to silence people all the time. So Aaron Rodgers laid back on the Pat McAfee uh, podcast. He talked about that because he yelled at uh, Chicago fans. All my uh, blank in life, I own you. I still own you. I still own you. And his post-game comments, you know, it's very taunting. It's very Muhammad Ali-esque, and people thought that was inappropriate. And he's like, the hell with it. And he can say that. Uh, he's having another great year, MVP-like year. His team has only lost one time, and he's probably going to cash in big time next year. Next. Don't call people Americans. This, according to a leading Parks group, it debuts on the Woke Guide. 
The nation's leading parks nonprofit on Tuesday released a lengthy guide on how to speak in woke terms. Americans are making sure the term white is lowercase while black may be capitalized. The National Recreation and Park Association exhaustive 17-page equity language guide for parks and recreation professionals include meticulous instructions on what words are accountable and accessible uh, in targets of race, age, gender, and sexual orientation. This is sickening. The guide also says the term white should be in lowercase. The term reflects a shared identity and culture rather than a descriptor of skin color. That's why black is in uppercase, please. Next, legendary college hoop broadcaster Dick Vitale revealed he's got cancer again. This is sad. You can't. Uh, you would never meet a nicer guy. Uh, just months after beating another form of cancer. As a result of some symptoms I've said, had in recent weeks, I've been undergoing tests, and doctors have now confirmed it's lymphoma. He's 82. Medical professionals don't believe the lymphoma is related to skin cancer. He had multiple surgeries in August. If anyone can beat it, this guy. He says uh, the medical experts tell him it's a 90% cure rate. Do it. Next. Donald Trump announces he's launching his own social media platform. Let's listen to his son. Big tech and all of those on the left for so long, Sean, have been saying, well, if you don't like the rules that we really enforce only one way on our platforms, go create your own. And so we did just that. Donald Trump in a statement said, I created Truth Social and um, to stand up to tyranny and big tech. We live in a world where the Taliban has a huge presence on Twitter, yet your favorite president has been silenced. This is unacceptable. I hope this works. I hope he gets the investors. I hope this this one actually pans out. And next, Superman colorist quits over the comics embrace of wokeness. He's tired of this blank. A colorist involved in creating the Superman. Remember, they got rid of truth, justice in the American way. Uh, He says, that's it. I'm finished. I'm through. What's really pissed me off is the truth, justice and better way. Um, He said, went on to say, my grandpa almost died in World War II. We don't have a right to destroy blank that people died for to give us it's a bunch of uh, blank nonsense. No kidding. Dave Chappelle's with you. Bill Maher's with you. I'm with you. This is Jimmy Fallon inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.